you're missing out on one of the greatest things that have come from the 2022 experience. Yes. Which is this snapback to reality and this understanding of how I keep my financial resources in alignment with what matters to me most in a way where I'm taking the appropriate amount of risks to get where from where I am today to where I want to be. Not too much, not too little. Because you are in a specific timeline. Bingo. So what's this podcast all about, this financial sobriety thing we're doing? It certainly isn't a traditional conversation about money. There's lots of great people in our industry that talk the traditional game. This is going to be a very unconventional conversation about those three unbelievably complicated relationships that when you put them all together, you don't necessarily think of them this way, but the relationship that you have with money, the relationship you have with your people that mean the most to you, and then the relationship that you have with the person in the mirror. You mean those three relationships go together? They do, and it's a very complex interrelationship between them. And when those get a little bit out of whack, interesting things happen. Do you know anything about that? We should probably introduce ourselves. Who oh, are you? good idea. Jim Gephardt. And I'm Matthew Grishman. I'm your author of the book, Financial Sobriety, and we are going to have some great conversations, so stick around. We are so excited to pick up where we left off with our conversation about bias in financial decisions. So let's jump back into the conversation and get to where you can actually make some decisions on what your next steps are going to look like to help you avoid getting caught in the bias trap. Let's move on to one of my favorites. Yeah. The whole concept of an anchoring bias. Mm. Remember this one? My anchor's at the bottom of the bay right now. So You always told me I just need to get the anchor up an inch to get in motion. True. This is relying... This is different? This is slightly different. Okay. This is relying too heavily on like a single data point or some arbitrary piece of information. And I'm, I'm guilty of this one. I am definitely guilty of this one. And it, it's, it's something... And let's pick on Tesla, right? I mean, it's just... It's they're an easy... They're fun to pick on. So when I drive uh, up and down Highway 5 from Northern California to Southern California and back, I frequently, like 6, 8, 10, 12 times on a drive, will see a cargo carrier driving with me or coming in the other direction Mm -hmm. full of Tesla vehicles. Mm. Just, it's like, it's endless. And... That's a very arbitrary piece of data that at times has filtered into my thought process around, boy, I should probably buy some Tesla stock. I mean, they they just- Oh, because you're seeing the trucks everywhere. I see these trucks everywhere. Um, Okay, wise guy. Uh, Tell me, how many, uh, tell me another car manufacturer that's manufactured in California? Hmm. I don't think there is one. Thank you. Or there are I one. Rest, is one. I rest my case. Oh, that's why you're seeing the trucks. Right. They happen to be made here, and they're moving them from point A to point B. So that is a classic example to me of how people can anchor on some crazy people piece of data. Wait, uh, here's so no a, matter here, how much you tell me about the fact that they're not making any money and their CEO is uh, batshit crazy and... Uh, the electric market is still in its infancy stage, and I can give you all these different data points. 
damn it, no, I'm buying the stock because I see more Tesla trucks I, than I, I see mean, anything come else. Come on, uh, yeah, exactly. Okay, so you're anchoring in that one piece of data. I've had clients and ignoring the rest. I've had clients that have said to me, and I've I have also found this one at times to seep into my thinking is uh, clients who particularly travel a lot. They will talk about, you know, I was just in uh, London and then I went to Frankfurt and then on my way back I stopped in New York and I landed in San Francisco. And, I mean, Jim, every one of these airports was packed. There was not a place to sit, eat, poop, nothing. These airports are just jammed. Right. So you can't tell me that the economy, the global economy, isn't absolutely on fire right now. Hmm. That's always been one of my favorites. That's because it's an arbitrary piece of data. You and I have been saying that to each other just with our own travel experiences. Right. But yet we're not allowing that experience to affect decision making to affect decision making because we recognize the bias within it. Right. So that is another classic example of uh, anchoring. So now as we've as we've. uh given everybody a deluge of different biases, what do, we, what do we do with this information? And for me, I think, you know, it, it, it's all about risk. It's all about how does this factor in? How does this seep into your decision-making and really affect the risk that you're taking with the money? Well, last year, you and I dedicated at least two episodes, if not three, to the whole conversation about the different risks involved with money, with finance. And, and those were those were in, in in the same way that we're shining a spotlight on this concept of status quo buy hold and hope. Yeah. I really want people to go back and listen to those episodes on risk because for us that's that's one of the key places that we start when we get to the money conversation yeah. at Gebhardt Group. Yeah. Well, is I, is risk. Right. And I and I love the the kind of the three different Ways that you describe it. Well, we well first before we even get there, just connect. I'm in a hurry because lunch is is oh lunch is yeah. coming soon, I'm, and okay. I'm hungry. We're we're gonna, well eat your left hand in the meantime. Okay. When when we talked about risk, what we did was we broke it into two kinds of categories of risks we have no control Cognitive. over and risks we do have control over. Emotional, no, right? Sorry. No, that's this episode. Come stay with me here, um, and where we're becoming aware of. Cognitive bias, emotional bias, what it does is it it takes some risk away from our finances. Or in the case where we're operating within these biases, it exposes us to more risk, risk that we generally have a certain amount of control over. So the idea of becoming aware of how we make financial decisions, the bias involved in those financial decisions, the reason for becoming aware of that is to become aware of the risk we take with our money every day and and trying to take the right amount of risk, not too much, not too little. The Goldilocks. The Goldilocks, right? Right in the middle. And just becoming aware of how additional risk can be, just how you can expose your money to more risk if you're not aware of some of these biases that affect your behavior. It is such a massive blind spot when I meet with new clients. And I just I'm I'm reminded of uh, a newer client for us. They've been with us a couple of years now, but uh, Donna, it was in her mid 80s, and her son reaches out to me, who was referred to us by a, a great long term client, 
and says, hey, uh, can you take a look at my mom's portfolio? Because I think she's taking too much risk. Oh, okay. Well, tell me about her situation. Well, and you know, I'll send you over the statements. Great. 85 years old, long since retired. Uh, in her case, she is blessed with a pension. So she has a pension and social security and a $5 million stock portfolio. Nice. Right? Sounds fabulous. Lovely. Yeah. Right? Who, I mean, that not that kind of what everybody would love? Sure. Is a pension, Social Security, and a $5 million portfolio. Sure. Right? I'll take two. That sounds like the endowment that we're waiting uh -huh. for. Exactly. Her portfolio was five stocks. Apple, NVIDIA, Amazon, Blackstone, and Tesla. Nice. Tesla was over $2 million of the five. For an 85-year-old woman, that is that, that would have been the fastest arbitration in the history of the SEC. Hmm. I put it through our, uh, our grinder, mm -hmm. and it came out with the highest score I've ever seen. On a scale of 1 to 100, the stock market's about a 75 a hundred would be left lane going a buck thirty. Yeah, she was a ninety-two. Wow, that's risk. I called. I called the the son back and I said, "I, I, Bob, I've just I've got one question." Oh, okay, great. What's the question? Does your mom own a Ferrari? Uh, no, no, she does. I don't understand. No, I don't. <laughs> why? Well, because she's driving in one in the left lane with her money. Sure. Yeah. And she doesn't know how to drive that? it. Did he get that? He, he got it. He's, okay. a, he's a smart guy, and he appreciated my satirical humor. Sure. But risk, uh, the, if, we're, if we're talking about biases and we're trying to make people aware and we're bringing blind spots up on things like buy, hold, and hope and status quo bias and all this, it all comes back to risk. I think you got nailed with a little framing bias on that situation with that client. Help, help me see the blind spot. Well, you're right. Traditionally, the way it's been framed to us and presented to us is that an 85-year-old should not be taking that kind of risk with their money. Why not? It's not appropriate. Yeah, it's not appropriate, right? We, we've, we've been taught in risk land, Yep. again, very round theory, take 100, subtract your age, and that's the percentage of your money you should have in stock. Right. And and so that's just generally framed yeah. that the older we are, the less market risk we should take with our money. But, right. But let me challenge you on that for a second. She's an 85-year-old woman. You said with a pension, Social Security, and a $5 million portfolio. Who's to say that that would go right to arbitration if her thought was – I've got plenty of money coming in with the pension. That was not her thought. I've got, well, I, I know. I'm just saying, is it possible that it could have been because we're just automatically framing the fact that she's 85 and shouldn't own all these stocks, yet we have an older client in her 90s who had a very aggressive stock portfolio because she would never need it, and she was hanging on to it and investing it as if it were her adult children's. And- in her case, uh, that specific client um, who I'm aware of, uh, she is cognitively aware of what she's doing. There's intentionality behind it.
there there's were. A, there, there's awareness behind it. There's strategy behind it. This was not. Ah, this, so this was at this the mercy of was blind to. She was at the mercy of the fact that you know instead of being in the back seat in, of a Lincoln Town Car in the sure. right lane, she was being driven in the front seat of a Ferrari in the left lane. Okay, and, and the only reason I'm pointing the, this out is we have I to love be it. careful. We I have, love it. We have to be careful of just assuming. That because she's 85 years old, she has no business owning aggressive stocks like that. My dad. Because there is a framing bias that exists. No doubt. That would tell us that, right? Framing bias, which we didn't cover yet today, is you process and respond to information based on the manner in which it's presented. And and this is why, you know, having this conversation about risk, right? Risk is framed a certain way for sure. every human being who learns about risk. And for most people, I think the benefit of those episodes we did, when I say, I, I think I even, I might have even asked this question in the episode. I don't remember because it was eons ago, you know, weeks and months ago. When I say the word risk, what do you think of? The board game. There you go. There's your frame. What would most people respond to that question? What do you think of when I say the word risk? You're overthinking it. Yeah, I, I, I mean, it, losing money in the stock market. Losing money in the stock market, right? And, sure. and and you and I did, I, I thought, an exquisite job of peeling back the onion to show that, yeah, sure, that is a risk, but it's not your greatest risk. No. And so I think when we when we tie some of these different biases and behaviors into the risk conversation, we need to understand and and just be aware of the fact that the folks that are with us today because of a certain framing bias, might see risk as part of the picture and not the whole picture of risk and what it really is. Make sense? Makes total sense. There are three different components to the risk question. Okay. Right? We have this, we, we, we've heard these words, risk tolerance, right? What is it? What, what is somebody's risk tolerance? When you wake up from your nap, I'll get that definition from you, right? Risk, risk tolerance is the emotional trade-off between risk and reward for a person. Like, how much risk can I stomach? We, we test this with clients in our office, what their risk tolerance is. We play a little game with them in a software that actually measures their emotional reaction right. to losing money. Because, and, and let me just get this out because it's, it's got me all confuddled. I loathe, I don't use that word very often. I loathe the concept of risk tolerance. That's a deluge of loathe. Because when you look at someone, you say, "So, Matthew, why don't can you, um, you know, relative to your portfolio and your life savings, uh, <laughs> what, um, what, what is your risk tolerance?" Well, I, I tend to uh, subscribe to a standard deviation of no more than three above or three below the S and P five hundred, Jim. Thank you for asking. Okay, that's the standard answer you get. Right? Oh, all the time. Yeah. It's just a nauseating concept people because people don't money. know. Right. They don't know and they hate losing money. They don't know. Right. Right. But that's so we So we have a tool that helps us measure that. Measure the risk. So tolerance. we have a data point now that really is a critical it's a critical piece because we it's it's like taking a temperature or taking getting an X ray or an MRI, right? It gives us a data point yes. to know this is the client's comfort with exposure to losing money. How often is that measurement an actual representation of the risk they're taking? Uh, that would be zero, Bob. <laughs> nine, I think nine out of 10 times in my experience, 
the level of risk that the client is really comfortable with is less than the risk of the portfolio because we can take the portfolio through the same grinder and come up with Donna's score of 92. Right. Right. When they want to be taking 48. 32. Right. Exactly. Right. And it's so easy in the market environment that we've been in the last three, four, five, six, seven years to just let the risk drift more and more aggressively because if we don't trim our winners, if we don't, if we don't ever rebalance, reallocate, reassess, those things just kind of float up and they float up. Oh, and they're a bigger, they're a bigger and bigger piece. And that's how you get $2 million in Tesla stock out of 5 million. There's nothing I love more than a conversation about the difference between risk tolerance, risk perception, and risk capacity. I love it because, and, and what I mean by that is risk tolerance being how much risk can you stomach, right? And, and, and having the quantifiable tools to help somebody figure that out yeah. relative to the actual perception of how much risk they're taking. In, in oh, my nine, portfolios. I mean, I, yeah, know, right, I'm, I'm okay. It's I'm all right. Okay, I'll, I'll be totally fine. We will have people that measure a 38 on the risk scale that own those five stocks in their portfolio. And in 1920 and 21. Not because of us. Because they were <laughs> right. <laughs> Thank you. Good disclosure. Uh, because those three stocks were going straight to the moon, the perception of the amount of risk that they were taking was minimal. Well, I mean, come on. I'll, let me throw myself under the bus with this one. With a, a, a an oldie but a goodie. Boom, boom. Sorry, the bus network, just ran you over. Network appliance. Oh, good lord! <laughs> I haven't heard those two words in the same sentence in a long time. Okay, Sun Microsystems. Well, if we're really gonna have some fun, how about JDS Uniface? Thank you very much. You're welcome. Or a little uh, Commerce One, perhaps. Can we talk about two of my favorite mutual funds of all time? The Goldman Sachs Tollkeeper Fund and the Munder Net Net Fund. Do right. those even exist anymore? I have no idea. Hmm. I have no idea. Yeah. But what was our risk perception in those days? <whistles> there was no risk. There was no risk. And then, of course, they were taking over the oof. world. And I, I was guilty of it. Yeah. I was I was blinded. I have, I had every biases and two or three more that don't exist with network appliance because it was my baby. So what's every product manufacturer in the world building for us today, Bob? Are they building more of those kinds of investments or given what's going on in the world and the risk perception that exists in the world today, all the different mutual fund, ETF, insurance, all those big companies that manufacture investment products that guys like I are, you, you and I are supposed to go out and offer to people, what kind of stuff are they building for us now? <sighs> Stable value. Stable value. Low Bank volatility. deposit funds. All sorts of conservative stuff because risk perception right now is very high. That's the hot dot. Exactly. The The important part and the important takeaway is that, and, and again, why we're having this conversation is that if you experience 2022 after the experience of being an investor in 1920 and 21, and you're not reevaluating your risk capacity, meaning how much risk can you actually sustain? How much risk do you need to sustain to get from where you are to where you need to be? If you're not reevaluating your risk tolerance and the risk of your portfolio, 
you're, you're just going to you're going to perpetuate you're them. missing out on one of the greatest things that have come from the 2022 experience yes which is this snap back to reality and this understanding of how i keep my financial resources in alignment with what matters to me most in a way where i'm taking the appropriate amount of risk to get where from where i am today to where i want to be not too much not too little because you are in a specific timeline bingo you do not get the chance to repeat your 50s or 60s or 70s unless you have an endowment. Oh, there you go. Right? Let's go get and, one of those. And God bless Uncle Warren. I cannot I cannot leave him out of the conversation today. Did you get his today. Christmas card this year? Not this year. No, I didn't either. But I always know where we are in an economic crisis, in this case the stock market crisis of 2022, when I just I start seeing Uncle Warren everywhere. Hmm. And, and let's call him who he is. Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett. Yep. Always acknowledged as one of the greatest generation, you know, one of the greatest investors of all time, mm -hmm. if not certainly this I'd generation. Call, I'd call him He's the, the goat. goat. He's the goat, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, you can you can sit and hold an investment for ten or twenty or thirty or forty or fifty or sixty years if you have the kind of money that he does. But if you have been going to work every day, putting money in a K plan, you have a finite amount of money, you have a finite amount of time, you're on one very specific lap around the sun, and you don't get to work. You don't. Most people don't want to work when they're 70 or 80 or 90 years old because they don't necessarily enjoy their work, and physically they don't know how they're going to be able to do it. I was going to say, except Wes Gephardt except, and Hank Grishman. Except our two fathers, <laughs> right? right? <laughs> now... Warren teaches a lot of great stuff, and I love his little videos. But I know when I start seeing him everywhere on CNBC and on Instagram now, and they're recycling clips of him talking about buy and hold and you know the status quo approach to what we've been lecturing on here today, um, I know we're near the bottom. It feels that way. It definitely feels that way. When they kind of parade him around? Yeah. And it's the reminder of, you know, it's going to be okay. thousand yeah. points of light. Yeah. Well, that's historically what has happened in markets like these. They well, parade Uncle Warren around and yeah. the markets tend to start bottoming out. We're, that's not a prediction. No, it's not. That's an observation. That's just an observation and, that you and I are not going to make investment decisions based on because we recognize the bias in simply looking at the fact that they well, it's an anchoring bias. It's a singular point of data that correct. here comes Uncle Warren, and I'm going to not. And historically, they've marched historically, him around, and I'm not going to sure. make an investment decision on sure. that. Exactly. So, 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 what do we do with all this? What, what's we'll the lunch. point of this? We, we, did you finish your left hand yet? A uh, couple. Okay, yeah. a couple nibbles. What do we do with this? What, what? We're getting started on the right path by getting really, really aware of what kind of bias could lead to behavior that brings more risk to our finances than is necessary. We said like four and a half hours ago in this episode that yeah. this is an inside job. Oh, yeah. Right? And I, I, I actually like to start the beginning of the year being a little more reflective than at the end of the year. I think the exercise is to get quiet and to go, go inside on this one and, and think and explore – which of these jump at you? Which of these now that, you know, it's, it, it's like that classic saying, well, you know, it's, I can't unsee that or I can't unhear that well, once think, it's said to me. Think right? about the money decisions that have been made. Yeah. Think about 2022. Right. In your world. 
whether it be your stock portfolio, whether it be perhaps a real estate transaction that you did, some other investment that you that you either did or didn't do. But now think of it through the lens of which bias is your is your favorite? Which which one always kind of you know? Well, because Dad did it this on. way, right? Right. That what? Which one do you go to? Yeah. And if you if you can now identify that, well, I think the the next thing to do is to then we talked about watching film. Well, go go back and look at any financial transactions that you made, and explore how did how did that bias seep into the conversation or if you want to go into the risk column how did were you reckless at all and did you, i, I had a take, few did you take too much risk I as had, a result of a bias i had a few reckless trades myself that i lost money on but they were with peanuts so from a risk standpoint it 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 had no bearing right good learning lesson it's an excellent learning lesson yeah. that i too am human and i too make mistakes but i think that's the exercise is to go get reflective go inside on this one Look back at the tape on on decisions that you made, uh, and explore what you know. What how did how did that how did that all play out for you? Mm-hmm. And then ultimately, what action do you want to take differently next time? Right, it's going to happen again. Yes, we are not out of the woods on what's going on with interest rates and inflation and oil and geopolitical and mum 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 mum. Fill it, you know, just recycle the tape. Yeah. So it's going to happen again. If yeah. you know it's going to happen again, then let's get better. That's all we're trying to do. I mean, you you said it in the beginning of the episode. Uh, we we can be somewhat scientific with these different labels of what these different biases are. The bottom line is they're fueled inside of either fear or greed. Right? Hang on. I mean, you can't. Just let I, me, please. I'm teeing this up for you. Please? Yeah, go ahead. Greed is good. <laughs> it, it my favorite be. my favorite movie line from the 1980s, uh, Mr. Michael Douglas playing Gordon Gecko, standing there with the microphone. Greed is good. Well, then hell, let's let's wrap up this episode by uh, a little homage and honoring the goat. Because uh, Uncle Warren would tell you greed is great when everybody else is fearful. And fear is great when everybody's greedy. Challenge the status quo. Be willing to be honest with yourself. Oh, yeah. Be open-minded that perhaps there is other information out there that might challenge every belief you've ever had and be willing to do something different in 2023. That, my friend, is how we get started on the right path. What an awesome episode. Fabulous. And with with that, that's a wrap. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Wait a second. We're not quite done yet. I know we said we are, but we got one more thing to do before we let you go from today's episode. We talked a lot about risk, and we talked a lot about risk in relation to what's in your investment portfolio versus how much risk you really should be taking. And if in the conversation today, that puts some questions in your brain about, gosh, am I really taking the right amount of risk in my portfolio relative to the amount of risk I want to be taking, then we've got a free tool for you. If you go to our website, yourfinancialsobriety.com, and right under rebuilding your relationship with money one step at a time, you're going to see a big yellow banner that says, does my portfolio fit me? 
click that banner and it's going to take you to a link for a free risk analysis where you can see once and for all the truth of whether your money is in alignment with the risk tolerance that you truly want to be taking. If you like what you heard, leave us a review and be sure to subscribe. And check out our website, yourfinancialsobriety.com. Thanks again for listening today. Here to help you find more clarity, confidence, and capability along your journey into financial sobriety. I'm Matthew Grishman. And I'm Jim Gebhardt. Be intentional with your money. Jim Gebhardt is a registered representative of and securities offered through Brokers International Financial Services, LLC, member SIPC. Jim Gebhardt and Matthew Grishman are investment advisor representatives of Gebhardt Group Incorporated, a registered investment advisor. Brokers International Financial Services, LLC, and Gebhardt Group Incorporated are not affiliated. The opinions in this podcast are for informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or investment recommendations. To determine which investments or financial advice may be appropriate for you, consult a financial advisor prior to investing. Any reference to market performance is based on historical information and there is no expressed or implied guarantee of future performance. Opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect those of Brokers International Financial Services, LLC. The topics discussed and opinions given are not intended to address the specific needs of any listener. Gebhardt Group Incorporated does not offer legal or tax advice. Listeners are encouraged to discuss their financial needs with the appropriate professional regarding your individual circumstance. Risk tolerance is an investor's general ability to withstand risk inherent in investing. The Risk Tolerance Questionnaire is designed to determine your risk tolerance and is judged based on three time factors, time horizon, long-term goals and expectations, and short-term risk attitudes. The advisor uses their own experience and subjective evaluation of your answers to help determine your risk tolerance. There is no guarantee that the Risk Assessment Questionnaire will accurately assess your tolerance to risk. In addition, Although the advisor may have directly or indirectly used the results of this questionnaire to determine a suggested asset allocation, there is no guarantee that the asset mix appropriately reflects your ability to withstand investment risk.